right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline or on the Central Church app. Luke chapter 10, that's where we're going to be at today. Um, this is week number four of our series called Habits. And we've been going over um, the five points of connection that we have here at Central. Invite boldly, attend regularly, connect relationally, serve purposefully, and give generously. Um, week number one, we talked about the importance of making church a habit and a priority um, the habit of making church a priority, and we talked about you need to attend regularly. Um, week number two, we talked about give generously. Um, that was a lot of fun, right? Uh, I am going to make a comment about that at the end of this message, so it's back in there. Uh, I'm going to talk about it because it's in the text. I kind of preface it like that because you're going to be like, oh my gosh, she's talking about money again. No, no, it's in the text, so we're going to talk a little bit about it at the end. Um, last week, Trevor was up here, our youth director, and he talked about how we need to connect relationally. Every single one of us needs to be involved in a connect group. Um, we have booklets on the back wall that have all of our current connection groups in them. Um, I strongly encourage you, I'm pushing you, I'm telling you, you need to be involved in a connect group. Um, there, are, there are lots of them. There are study groups, there are support groups, there are common interest groups. I mean, even if you're just a part of um, golf or game time or motorcycle ride, whatever, like get involved in something where you're going to connect with other people. Um, another great way to connect um, is, is egg stuffing. Go to one of those events and, and meet some people, but get plugged in, get plugged into a group. Um, today we're going to talk about serve purposefully. That's the one we're going at today. And so because of that, spoiler alert, next week's going to be two of you know how to play along and count, right? It's only five weeks in this thing. And one of them doesn't count because she probably knows every, I don't know. But anyway, so serve purposely, invite boldly next week. All right, today, um, as we talk about serving, I want to start out with a, with a survey. How many of you, um, let, let's talk about fast food. Let's do a fast food survey. How many of you would say you're a McDonald's person? Like McDonald's is your go-to fast food place. How many? How, how many, how many people? Uh, how many of you are like, no, like it's the, it's the last option because my kids have grown up and I don't have to get a happy meal ever again. Like, yeah, that's those, all of us, right? All right. How about this one? How about Taco John's? How many of you love yourself some Taco John's? You're like six pack and a pound of some potato Jose's. I got to get those things, right? Like, I know they're Olay's, but one, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Taco John's. Um, how about this? Because we have this in town now. How many of you, like, are Taco Bell over Taco John's? Anybody that's Taco Bell over Taco John's? Um, that would be me everywhere but here and Carol. Um, I don't understand. I don't understand how we have the slowest Taco Bell in the way. If you work there, I'm sorry, but speed it up. Um <laughs> Wow, I did. Anyway, all right, let's move on to the next one. How about this? What's the next one? Arby's. How many Arby's people? Yes, Arby's. This is probably my go-to. Just a quick question. How many of you ever gone to Arby's and they ran out of beef? Anybody? Three times. Three times I've been to Arby's and they have ran out of meat. And it's just like, you have one job. One job. Your job is you have the meats. Like, right? Like, that's it. You have it, and you're going to tell me you're out of roast beef. When you go to Arby's, um, we did this in the first service. It was kind of fun. Uh, how many of you are crinkle fry versus curly fry? How many curly fry fans are there? How many of you are crinkle fry people? You get to crinkle, uh, crinkle fry. 
Yeah, I just don't, I don't understand that. Arby's is curly fries. Like, if you want crinkle fries, you can go to McDonald's. Like, it just, sma- they're smashed up anyway, right, when you get them, and they're soggy. Um, let's move on. <laughs> I'm making some people mad. Culver's. How many of you are Culver's people? Yeah. How many of you go to Culver's for the ice cream? It's not ice cream. It's not ice cream. I'm telling It's custard. You want ice cream, you go to Dairy Mart, right? That's where you get ice cream. Ice cream and custard are not the same things. Amen? Anybody with me? Yeah, I got some Jesus followers here. All right. (laughs) I love these. How about this next one? We don't have this at Carol, but this is my all-time favorite. If you know me at all, you know I am a Chick-fil-A freak. I love me some Christian chicken because that's that's what it is, right? I love, love, love Chick-fil-A. Now, listen, I, I like their food. Um, but it's not necessarily the food that I, that I, that I really go there for. You know why I love, love, love Chick-fil-A? It's the, it's not the food, it's the what? It's the service. You know this, right? At, at Chick-fil-A, their service is unbelievable. Last week, I was on vacation. Um, no surprise, we went to Chick-fil-A. Um, and, and it's like the same experience every single time you go to Chick-fil-A. Every time you go in there, it's super busy. Have you ever been to a Chick-fil-A and you're the only person in there? You work there, if that's the case, right? Like, that's probably it. Like, it's always busy. And you walk up to the register, and it's the same thing. They ask the question, how may I serve you, right? Like, that's the thing. I love that. And then you order, and they ask your name, and you say thank you, and they say, my pleasure. Like, it's just incredible. And so we order, and standing there, and there's like 10 other people standing, waiting for their food, too. And this girl walks out, and she's like, here's your sweet tea, Ryan. I'm like, how did you even, like, remember? And she's saying, like, everybody's name as she goes out. That's impressive. Chick-fil-A is known for how they serve people. Now, here's the thing. Chick-fil-A we could talk about Chick-fil-A, and we could talk about um, everything that they are as a restaurant. We could talk about how great they are in the drive through and all that. They're known for the way they serve people. When I said Chick-fil-A, and I even mentioned that, you said they're known for their service. Why isn't the church? Like, why is it? Like, like think about this. If you would ask the average person, like, they, they would probably say the church isn't known for serving. It's known for how we scream at people rather than how we serve them. Because everybody knows what we're against, but nobody knows what, it, what we're for. And, and so when it comes to really going all out and serving someone, why is it we have to look at a fast food restaurant and not the house of God? Well, I think that's a problem, don't you? And so I want to talk about that. And here's, here's where we're going today. Here, here's the point. We can argue from the Bible that followers of Jesus Christ purposefully serve other people. Followers of Jesus Christ, as we read through the scriptures, we can, we, we can put together a very, very, very solid argument that followers of Jesus Christ purposefully serve other people. Now, let me say this, because I don't want there to be confusion in our five points of connection. I know we talk about attend regularly, and we talk about the habit of making church a priority, and that's important. But there's a difference between somebody that just simply attends church and somebody who follows Jesus. 
right? Just attending church does not make you a Christian. I know a lot of people who have attended church for years, but have never truly followed Jesus. So I don't want you to fall in the trap of thinking just because I attend regularly, I follow Jesus and I'm saved. I'm talking about when I say a follower of Jesus, I'm talking about a genuine follower of Jesus, someone who's completely sold out to God, somebody who has surrendered their life to him, somebody who has received him into their life, somebody who is truly, according to the Bible, saved. A saved person will naturally serve people and they will do it purposefully. You can't help it. You don't even have to try to do it. It just naturally comes out of you. A follower of Jesus Christ purposefully serves other people. I want to show you this, the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and I'll tell you this, and we'll get back to this in a minute. Um, but, but I want to say this up front because I want you to all understand this. Every single one of us sitting here, every one of us watching online, everybody at our Crescent campus, you're gifted. You are. You are gifted. And you're called. And you're empowered to serve Jesus Christ through serving, listen, through serving the local church inside and outside of the walls. Jesus, Jesus had this incredible ministry. And one of the things that sticks out to me every time I read the Gospels is the number of people that follow Jesus around um, for the purpose of trying to trap him, trying to trip him up. Like, I don't know if they were going to make a TikTok of him or Snap or Facebook or, or whatever and, and, and try to get everybody in the world against him. But, but they were constantly trying to get him to kind of trip up because they wanted to use his words against him. Well, they couldn't do it. And so the teachers of the law and, and the Pharisees, they actually hired professional lawyers um, to follow Jesus around to try to catch him in a loophole. And so that's the context of the story that we're going to look at today. They're trying to trap Jesus into saying something. And this is where we pick it up. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, how ridiculous is that really? That you're going to test Jesus. But this is what he does. Teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, <laughs> here's the frustrating thing to me about Jesus. Jesus hardly ever answered somebody's question when they asked him a question in the bible he just didn't answer they're like hey jesus what do i need to do for this and he didn't just be like well you need to do a b and c he either always would a ask a question back or b he would tell a story so people would be like hey jesus what do you think about this and jesus would be like well once upon a time there was a mama bear a papa bear and a baby bear and people were like dude come on just answer the question jesus and he, he just didn't he just didn't answer the question and in this text right here he does both. He asks asks a question back and he tells a story. Just awesome. Verse 26. This is Jesus' question back. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? In other words, this guy's like, Jesus, I, I really want to know. Like in order for me for, to live forever, like in order for me to inherit eternal life, what do I need to do? And Jesus is like, I don't know. What do you think? Like, you're the lawyer, you're paid by the hour, what, what do you think? You know the law, you're an expert in the law, what do you think? And he answered, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, now look at this, Jesus says, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. Like, that's awesome, like, you got the question right, but the guy pushes back a little bit. Look at what it says, but he wanted to justify himself, because we always want to do that, don't we? Don't we always want to justify ourselves? before God? Well, well, you know, I, I don't know. What you think is right, I don't really think is right. Or what you think is wrong, I don't really think is wrong. And like, who, who is my neighbor? We all do that. We fall into that trap. So we ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, for us, 
in order to really understand serving purposefully, we've got to wrap our mind around two principles. Um, the first one we talk about all the time is this. We've got to see as Jesus sees. We have to learn how to see as Jesus sees. One of the things I tell you at this church all the time is one of the best prayers that you can pray is, Jesus, teach me to see people as you see people. That prayer will, will legitimately change your life. It will. It, 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 it's one of the things that I have to work on incredibly hard in my own life is, Jesus, teach me to see people as you see people. Let me tell you something about being a follower of Jesus Christ. As you and I follow Jesus, he's going to change us for the rest of our lives. Like, if, if you're not changing, you're not following. You're at a standstill. You've, you've stopped taking next steps. Because you can't follow Jesus and stay the same. It is a spiritual impossibility. Anybody who followed Jesus in the scriptures constantly and consistently changed. And one of the things that he changes in us is the way that we see things. And so if you're going to buy into the concept that's all over scriptures that a follower of Jesus serves perfectly, Purposefully, then we're going to have to understand we have to learn to see as Jesus sees. This is where we really unpack this story. Jesus, Jesus starts telling this parable, and it's awesome. He says this, in reply, in reply to who is my neighbor, Jesus said, A man was going down. Underline that phrase, very important, going down, super important. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, right here, Jesus is talking about two places, Jerusalem and Jericho. Now, a walk from Jerusalem to Jericho is 23 miles long. Not, not a really far walk. None of us really are going to walk 23 miles, but it's not far. We probably could, right? If the gas prices keep going up, we might. But, but 23 miles isn't super far. But it's also a 3,000-foot drop in elevation. Jerusalem to Jericho. Very important. Now, something else to keep in mind about these two cities is Jerusalem was known as the city of blessing. Jerusalem was the place where people went to commune with God. Jerusalem was the place where people went to have their sins atoned for. Jerusalem was the city of what? Blessing. City of what? Blessing. Remember that. City of blessing. Jericho, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, was not the city of blessing. It was the city of cursing. Not, not saying bad words. It was, it, was, it was a cursed city. It was the first city the Israelites took um, when they came in. Remember the, the seventh day, they marched, around, they marched around the city seven times, and they shouted, and on the seventh day, the walls fell down, and they ran in. It was like a big old mess. Um, Joshua cursed the city. He said, if anybody ever rebuilds this city, he will do so at the cost of his firstborn son. If he rebuilds the gates, he will do so at the cost of his secondborn son. Sure enough, later on in the scripture, a dude comes in. His name is Hiel of Bethel. He comes in and he rebuilds Jericho. His firstborn son died. He rebuilt the gates. His secondborn son died. Which some people push back and they go, God shouldn't have done that. God is so mean. I don't understand why God is so mean. Let me tell you something about God. If God tells you don't go play in the street, and you go play in the street, and you get hit by a car, who's the idiot? You're God. Yeah, come on, everybody. We know the answer. Come on. It's okay. Everybody play along. Who? You and me, right? Us. We're the idiots because God told us not to do something. God said don't rebuild the gates, and, and, and so we, we can't blame God. So Jerusalem is the city of Jericho is the city of cursing. All right. And the Bible tells us that this man, he began to walk from Jerusalem to Jericho. In other words, he walked from the city of blessing towards the city of cursing. Now, maybe you're here today, and maybe in this past week or the past month, you started out on your journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. You've decided to walk away from God. Listen to me. If that's you, you are going down. 
You are. Listen, nobody has ever improved the quality of their life by walking away from Jesus. Nobody. But there are plenty of people, maybe even in this room, that have the pain in their life that prove that they took that walk. So maybe today, maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online, and maybe you're wrestling with the decision. Do I walk away from Jesus? Do I? Do I walk away from what I know he wants me to do? Do I pursue that relationship? Do I pursue that shady business deal? Do I pursue that Facebook affair? I mean, do I go there? Do I? Let let me show you what happens every time. Every time. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, every time. Every time somebody walks away from Jesus, this happens. Watch this. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. You choose to walk away from Jesus. Listen, I'm not a prophet. I've just been doing church work. I've been in ministry for a long time now. If you choose to walk away from Jesus, that right there, that's going to happen to you. Jesus said in the Bible, John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief, the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When you walk away from Jesus, when you make the choice to walk away from Jesus, you are nothing but fresh meat to the enemy. And he has thousands of years of experience of chewing people up like us that decide to walk away from Jesus. So if that's the path you're going down, listen, that is going to happen to you. And if it happens to you, I want you to really listen to me, the only person that you have to be mad at is you because the wounds that you are going to experience are self-inflicted wounds because you chose to walk down that trail you chose to take that path you chose to walk away i'm I'm not trying to be mean and harsh or scare anybody i'm just trying to be as honest as i know how to be as your pastor every time every time somebody walks away from jesus they fall into the hands of the enemy every single time time. Bible says this guy got the mess beat out of him and he was left naked and bleeding, left for dead on the side of the road. In fact, the people who did it to him that left him on the side of the road, their hopes were that the wild animals would come off, come over, come and just finish this, this guy off. Now, here's the thing I know about all my years in church ministry. Some of us have walked down this path and we know what it's like, but others of you You've got friends, you've got family members, you've got coworkers, you've got neighbors. This is their story. They walked away from God, and they got the mess beat out of them. And spiritually, they're on the side of the road, naked and bleeding and about to die. So how do we help people like that? Well, let me first tell you something about these people. A sermon or a song is probably not going to do it. So how do we help? Verse 31 starts out like this. Watch this. A priest. Well, let's, let's talk about this for a second. I know some of you are like, can you not just read the verse? Please just read the verse. I can't. Um, a priest, we, we've got to talk about this because I, I want you to get out of the mindset of common, like, around us priests, all right? Just, just for a second because it's very important we see this. In this time period, a priest was somebody that had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Many of them had the entire Old Testament memorized. The entire Old Testament memorized. A priest would be somebody that we would call in today's church world like a prayer warrior because he constantly communed with God. Another way we could look at it is somebody who's obsessed with Bible study, right? Because he had the entire Old Testament memorized. You've got to be obsessed with that in order to do that. And so the Bible says a priest. Remember that. A priest happened to be, look at what it says here, going down. Happen to be going down. And we could probably talk about that for the rest of the service, but we're just going to leave it at that. 
happened to be going down that same road and went, don't miss this. And when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. He saw the man. The Bible says he saw the man who had the mess beat out of him, laying on the side of the road, naked and bleeding, and he chose to cross over to the other side. Now, maybe he said something like, well, you know, he just probably needs some prayer. I'll pray for you, brother. God bless you. Or some other like cheesy Christian thing that we say. But regardless, he chose to walk down the other side. He saw the opportunity. Don't miss this. He saw the opportunity, but he chose to walk by it. Why? Well, I think, and I'm just speculating here, but I would say he probably had to get to his Bible study or he had to get to his prayer group or he had to get to his Christian activity. Now, let let me say this real quick, because one of the things that kind of gets misquoted from me all the time is that people say, Ryan doesn't believe in Bible study. Ryan doesn't believe in Bible study, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life, honestly. I study my Bible every single day. You don't really think I can get up here and just make this stuff up without reading the Bible, right? Like, I study the Bible every day. I believe that Christians should be involved in Bible study. We just did an entire message last week about getting involved in study groups. You and I need to study our Bible. But there are two different kinds of Bible study, and don't miss this. There's the Bible study that propels you to action, and there's the Bible study that causes arrogance. If you're involved in a Bible study that does nothing but brags about how much stuff you know about stuff you probably really don't know a whole lot about anyway, listen, that's not becoming more like Jesus. That's becoming more like Satan, who knows the word but doesn't apply it. Our Bible studies should propel us to action, not arrogance. Somebody, think about it like this. Somebody that's involved in a Bible study that can walk right past a man who's had the mess beat out of him, who's laying naked and bleeding on the side of the road, I would say your problem isn't you don't know the word, it's that you don't apply it. And so I'm all about Bible study, all about it. But Bible study should propel us to action and becoming more and more like Jesus. The priest saw the opportunity, and he missed it because he chose to walk by. Now, there's another guy involved in the story. Um, There was a Levite. Levites were people who were involved in a lot of church activities. That would be our modern-day equivalent. They were the people that, we've talked about this before, they attended everywhere, but they belonged nowhere. The Bible says this, So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, saw him, don't miss that, saw him. Turn to your neighbor and say, saw him. Saw him. It wasn't like he he just, like he saw him. Saw the guy. The mess beat out of him. Naked, bleeding, on the side of the road. Saw him. And what's it say? Passed by on the other side. Now I'm always a little bit confused when I read this story because the people who are the most qualified to help this man, the priest and the Levite, chose to walk by. And, and I always want to give them the benefit of the doubt because, like, maybe maybe they saw the opportunity because, because they both saw the opportunity, right? Yes or no? Yes, they both saw it. So maybe they saw it and they said, you know, I just, I just don't feel like I'm qualified or I just don't feel like I'm significant enough to contribute, which we hear all the time at Central. We challenge people to get involved in ministry, to serve purposefully and begin to do something significant for the kingdom. And we have people push back and say, well, I'm just unqualified. 
I just really don't think I can do anything significant. I really don't think I can contribute. And listen, I can't do this today, but if I could sit down with every single one of you and and we could have a conversation just one-on-one, one of the things I would tell every single one of you as I look you dead in the eye, as I would say, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called, you are equipped, you are empowered, and you are expected by Almighty God to get off the bench and get in the game. You are way too valuable to sit on the sideline. Jesus Christ did not pay the price. He paid for us so that we could be trophies of grace and sit on the shelf in his living room. Listen, one day we'll die and we'll get to heaven and we'll get to spend eternity with him and that's going to be great. But while we're on this planet, there's a bigger purpose for our lives. And it's not to show up at church every week and pat ourselves on the back and talk about how good we are. It's to serve a world that's had the mess beat out of them and they're on the side of the road naked and bleeding and needing somebody to come alongside and give them some help. And this church needs to be that church. Amen? We've got opportunities to serve day in and day out around here. So I would tell you, you are qualified. You are able. You are equipped. You can serve. Now, I love how this story plays out because Jesus now is going to introduce a hero to the story who is the most unlikely hero imaginable to the audience he's talking to. Verse 33, he says, but a Samaritan. And when he said that, everyone's like, oh my gosh, what's the Samaritan going to do? Because the priest already walked by and the Levi already walked by. And so I'm sure the Samaritan is just going to jump on him and snuff him out and finish the job that the robbers started. Because the Samaritan is an awful person to the Jews. Jews and Samaritans hated one another. Samaritans were looked at by the Jews as the scum of the earth. And so Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. In other words, when he saw the man, he was filled with compassion. You know why? He's the only guy in the story who saw the man as Jesus saw the man. In church, if we want to embrace the fact that people who follow Jesus purposefully serve people, we're going to have to start looking at people through the eyes of not what can they do for me, but rather what am I called to do for them in order to usher them into the kingdom of God? Because followers of Jesus purposefully serve. The Samaritan was the most unlikely person on the planet that anybody expected God to use in a significant way. And I love the fact that the Samaritan is the hero of the story. Because you might be here and you might be pushing back and you might be going, Ryan, I I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I, I get you're talking about serving and you're talking about getting involved in all this stuff, but you don't know me. I can't do anything. I can't do anything significant. I can't do anything. Like, I'm just not important. And I would say that if you understand that truth, that I'm not really significant, that I'm unqualified, that I'm not important, then you are nothing more than primed and ready for God to use you in unbelievable ways. Because when you look at the people that Jesus called to surround himself with, it was not the scribes, it was not the Pharisees, it was not the Sadducees, it was not the teachers of the law, it was not the experts, it was the common average everyday, ordinary people, the fishermen, the tax collectors, the zealots, the sinners. Those are the people that Jesus used to turn the world upside down. But in order to get there, they had to see as Jesus sees. In order for us to get there, we have to learn how to see as Jesus sees. Which leads to number two, we have to respond as Jesus leads. We have to respond as Jesus leads. One of the things that I don't want our church to become is simply a bunch of attenders. We've said this before, but we don't want an audience. We want an army. 
We don't want spectators. We want participators. Like, think about it like this. The most annoying person at a sporting event is the fat guy in the stands with the hot dog screaming at the athlete how he should perform in the game when it's the athlete who's actually playing the game. Like, I've never seen an athlete, maybe you have, but I have never seen an athlete stop and went, hold on, coach, hold on. Fat guy up there with a hot dog. He's got it going on. He understands football. He read a football book one time. He's the only guy I know that's got a PS5 with Madden 22. I think we need to listen to him. Coach, you're great and you're awesome, but I'm going to go with that guy for not. Like, that's never happened, right? And we need to move on from that. We as a church, we've got to move from spectator to participator. There's a verse 34. Watch this. Beginning of verse 34 says, he went to him. See, see, that's good. Because as we see as Jesus sees and we respond as Jesus leads, like th- this guy, the, the Samaritan saw the opportunity and he went to him, served purposefully. If we want, don't miss this, if we want to be like Jesus, we have got to go, to go to those who are hurting. We've got to get up out of our seat, off of our butt, and we've got to go to the guy that's wounded. We've got to go to the woman on the side of the road. You know why? Because Jesus came to us. We were that guy. I was the guy on the side of the road. I was the guy with the mess beat out of me by the world. And Jesus, in his grace and in his mercy, came to me and got his hands dirty. I'm glad I serve a God today who got his hands dirty. Aren't you? I'm glad I serve a God that didn't come to me and scream at me, but rather scoop me up and pulled me out of the situation I was in. If we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to learn to go to them. He came to me. He came to you. He came to us. So we have to go to other people. He went to him. And then the Bible says, and he bandaged his wounds. He served him. Bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That's important. I'll get to that in a second. Oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. In other words, there was an offering involved. This isn't a text, so I'm just throwing it out there. He gave generously. Don't miss that. We'll talk about that in a second. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Now, real quick, this guy was involved three ways in this dude's life. And and let me say this, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're called to be involved in a local church. And the three ways that I'm about to to tell you that you're going to be involved, three ways you're supposed to be involved in local church, um, you're not supposed to be involved in one of the three ways or two of the three ways, but in all three ways. And listen to me, if you're not involved in a local church, there are at least 30 New Testament commandments that you are not fulfilling. You and I are called to be involved through service in and through a local church. How do we do that? Three types of involvement. Letter A is spiritual involvement. Spiritual. Now, here's what I find significant about the Samaritan. He went to the guy who was on the side of the road, and he used two things. He used oil and wine. And we don't have lots of time to get into this today, but anytime you see oil used, it was usually used to symbolize the Holy Spirit. Wine was used to symbolize the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, there's some spiritual implications in the way the Samaritan was serving the man on the side of the road. You and I, in the context of the local church, we are called to be involved spiritually. Now, you might ask, how, how am I going to be involved spiritually? Serve purposefully. That's, that's, that's one of the ways, all right? That's, that's one of the ways. That's the point of the message, so we're going to say that right there. Another way 
is, is to pray. Like, how more spiritual can you get than just prayer? Pray. Pray for your church. Pray hard for your church. Pray big prayers for your church. Listen, when it comes to this church, when it comes to prayer in this church, let's give God no rest. Let's wear him out. Let's beg him to save souls. Let's beg him to help us connect people to Jesus and each other. Let's beg him to transform communities. Let's beg him to change lives. I want a church that knows how to pray big because God is capable of doing more than we could ever ask or imagine. Amen? So let's pray. Pray. I'll say this unapologetically, unashamedly. Pray for me. Pray for me as your pastor. I need your prayers. Please, 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 I beg you. Pray for me. Pray for my family. My family needs your prayers. Just pray. Pray. Be spiritually involved through prayer. Pray for the staff. Pray for Trevor, our youth director. Pray for the youth. You should pray for the kids' ministry. Pray for Jen, our kids director. You should pray for Claudia, our worship leader. You should pray for our next worship leader to come in. Pray for our worship team. Pray for our Awana leaders. Pray for Pastor Gary. Pray for John. Pray for Brenda. Pray for Paul. And you might ask, how can I pray for them, Ryan? I don't know. Why don't you ask them? Seriously, go ask them. They'd be glad to tell you. I've never, ever, ever met anybody that got offended by that question how can i pray for you shut up you shouldn't ask me that how dare you i've never met anybody that got offended by that have you so spiritual involvement spiritual involvement let her be physical involvement this is really what the message is about serve purposefully the samaritan he went up to the guy who had been beaten to a pulp and he put him on his donkey let me tell you something In order to do that, he had to get his hands dirty. He broke a sweat. It was tough to physically pick this guy up who was half dead and put him on his donkey. Translate that to us. God has called every single one of us in this room, every one of us watching online, everyone at Creston, has called us to get our hands dirty, to break a sweat and do something tough for the kingdom of God. Every single one of us. Nobody here gets a gold star because we sat in a chair. God has called us to get our hands dirty because we serve a Savior who got his hands dirty to reach us. Every one of us is called to get our hands dirty. Now, one of the ways that you discover where you're gifted or we help you um, understand that is, is through our class growth track. If you haven't been through that, sign up. The next one is uh, April, April 3rd, um, after third service. They happen every first Sunday of every month after the third service. It's a couple-hour um, class that you go through. It's awesome, and, and we really help you discover your gift and help you get plugged in. But real quick... Um, let me give you a couple of questions that we go through in Growth Track that will start you down the path of discovering your giftings. Um, the first one is this. What do I enjoy? What do I enjoy? Second one, what am I good at? Now, don't answer those two questions. Nothing. I enjoy nothing. I ain't good at anything. You, you, there's something. There is something. There is something. So what do I enjoy and what am I good at? And then third, if, if I could do anything, Anything for the kingdom of God. Put in the context of that. If I could do anything for the kingdom of God, anything, and no, I wouldn't fail, what would I do? If I could do anything, no, I wouldn't fail, what would I do? Would I be on the worship team? Become a missionary? Start a halfway house? Preach? Teach kids church? I mean, what, what is it? If you could do anything, 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 and no, you wouldn't fail, what would I do?
That question, I'm telling you, that question right there, if you're honest with that, will change the trajectory of your life. Somebody asked me that question a long time ago. And, and, and man, it really changed the path of my life. Every single person, every person in here, you're not called to just attend, but to be physically involved in the local church. So get committed. Get committed. Get your hands dirty. Serve purposefully. Listen, the reason this church is growing and people's lives are being changed and we're getting connected to Jesus and each other is because there are a lot of people in this church who have said, sign me up, I'll get my hands dirty. And God is using you. And for those of you who are serving, not only is God using you, but you understand you're growing in ways you never thought you would grow, right? And and, and let me say this, I'll say this and I'll move on. Some people look around a church like this and, and they say, oh, the church doesn't need me to serve. They've got people and they're involved and they don't need me. Listen, this church might not need you because, yeah, we'll get it done. We, we, just, we just will. We'll be fine. But you need the local church to help you develop your gift. I'll unapologetically say that because in the scriptures, Jesus says you are equipped to be a part of the body. What is the body? His church, right? And you are called to serve purposefully in the church and through the church. You need, listen to me, you need the local church to help you develop your gift. Letter C, the last one, financial involvement. Listen, you knew it was coming, didn't you? Like, you knew, that was point number three. You knew, you knew it was happening. Um, we're, not, we're not taking another offering. Hold on to your wallet, Cletus. It's not, no, we're not going to do that. But I'm telling you, listen, listen, listen. I'm talking about this because it's in the text, right? It's the only reason I'm talking about this. Because it says he gave, right? Verse 35, look at that. The Samaritan gave two coins. And where did he give them? He gave them to the house. That's where he, he didn't run down the road and give them to another ministry because he thought the house was okay. He gave them to the house. You're called, if you're involved in a local church, you're called to bring the tithe to the house. The offering is called to come to the house. I'm, I'm going to make zero, 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 zero apologies for that. That is what the Bible said. And listen, it's not that the church needs your money. It's that you and I need to be obedient to the basic commands of God. And one of them is to bring the tithe to the storehouse. Give generously. Um, I'll use this analogy for this right here. I've used it before, but I want to use it one more time just to kind of illustrate um, this because it just does a, it does a great job of kind of bringing this and and i need to be reminded myself of it from time to time let's say today that you decide to leave and you're going to go to jalisco for lunch how many jalisco fans do we got here all right jalisco my favorite mexican restaurant in town um some of you you might go there because i'm going to tell you um, we're going to talk about jalisco so let's say you're going to go to jalisco and you're going to get chips and salsa and you're going to be looking at the menu you're going to be deciding what you want i will i will end the debate for you get the mocajete just get it how many of you ever had the mocajete at Lisco? It's a big old bowl of meat. That's what it is. It's a big lava bowl full of meat. And cheese is melted over the meat. There's chorizo and shrimp at the bottom. It's got cactus and onions in it. It is absolutely phenomenal. Get it. And you might say, I don't, I don't know if I can remember mocajete. It's the most expensive thing on the menu there, I think. So just look for that and just order it. Or just go in and say, big old bowl of meat. All right, so go get the mocajete. Now, maybe that's not what you want. Maybe you're a quesadilla person, or maybe you're going to get a big bowl of fat burrito, but whatever. You get what you want, and you eat it. And afterwards, you're stuffed. But the waiter comes out and says, would you like some fried ice cream? And you're like, I don't want anything. And he says, but it's fried ice cream. It's not fried custard. You ever notice that? Culver's people, you don't ever get fried custard? 
I'm just saying, don't go there and ask them if they can do it. But <laughs> fried ice cream, you're like, oh, it's fried ice cream. Okay, I'm going to get the fried ice cream. So you eat the fried ice cream. Now you're stuffed, and you're, you're just, you just can't, you're in a food coma, right? And the waiter comes out to you and says, did you enjoy everything? You're like, yeah. He's like, would you like anything else? You're like, no. And he, so he gives you the bill. Now, how crazy would it be for you to take the bill, stand up, shake his hand and say, man, that was a great experience. Maybe I'll see you next week and walk out. What do you think he would do? He'd be like, what are you doing? Where are you going? And then you went, oh, hey, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to pay here. I'm going to go pay at Taco John's. Because y'all look like you're doing fine. Plenty of people come here. But my family, it's Taco John's family. My family's always gone to Taco John's. I grew up going to Taco John's. I know it's fast food, but it looks like they need my money just a little bit more. You know what the manager at Jalisco would ask you? Where did you eat? Where did you eat? Where did you get fed? Now I know this is where my illustration breaks down because this is where people will push back and go, well, I'm not getting fed here. Cool. I understand that. I invite you to find a church where you do get fed. I understand that. That's fine. I have another message for that for another time that you're definitely not going to like. But you're called to be involved in the church spiritually. Spiritually, physically, and financially. The money went to the house. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm only saying it because it's in the text. Jesus closes this thing out like this, verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In other words, he's saying, go and be like the dude who thought he was unusable and then realize that God could use him to do great things. Listen, church, if we'll step outside these walls and become the servants that God has called us to be, it'll change this community. It'll change the world. We are called to step up and serve purposefully.